Matthew chapter 3, if you were here last week, we looked at the ministry of John the Baptist as recorded in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to continue looking at particularly the baptism of Jesus. So I'll read Matthew 3. We're looking mainly at the last few verses. Let's have a word of prayer as we come to the word of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's your truth. Pray you'll help me to speak and help those to hear to hear. And may your word go out and accomplish your purposes in Jesus' name. Matthew 3, starting at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God, heaven is at hand. But this is he who has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region round the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warmed you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, to John at the Jordan, to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Praise the Lord. We looked last week at the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, This week we're going to look at what happens when Jesus comes onto the scene. Just to summarize what I said last week, John the Baptist came as a forerunner of the Lord Jesus, coming in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. His work was to make people's hearts prepared, and he preached a baptism of repentance. You notice that the first message which John preached was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you go through the Bible, you'll find that the first message which Jesus preached was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First message which the apostles preached was repent and believe the gospel. First message which Paul preached was repent and believe the gospel. Right the way through the Bible, the emphasis is on repentance, turning from your sin, turning from the person you were, turning to God and receiving a new life through faith in the Lord. Uh, John told people to repent and he also baptized them, immersing them in the River Jordan as they confessed their sins. It was their way of getting right with God. He had a great response. It says that all Jerusalem, Judea, people from all around the region came to him, came to him in the wilderness, recognizing their sinfulness and their need to be ready for the coming of the Messiah. 
And this also shows us that at the time when Jesus arrived, there was a great expectation of the coming of the Messiah. Just as now there is an expectation of the coming again of the Messiah. And we do believe that Jesus is coming again. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know that there's also a need now to be ready for the coming of the Lord, to repent, to believe the gospel, so that you're ready to meet with Jesus. See that the Pharisees came and John gave them a pretty undiplomatic message. He said, brood of vipers who told you to repent, to flee the wrath to come. Uh, reminding us that there is such a thing as the wrath to come. As I said last week, there are two aspects to God. You can have the love of God, which we like to talk about, but there is also something called the wrath of God. The Bible tells us that God is angry with sin all the day long. And God sees the state of the world and he sees things which are happening on the world which cause him to be angry. Perhaps there are things which cause you to be angry when you see some of the terrible things which people are doing to each other in defiance of God. And God's telling people to repent because if they don't, then the wrath of God is going to fall upon them. Again, we don't like to talk much about the wrath of God, but it's there in the Bible. In fact, in uh, John chapter 3, the chapter which tells us about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The passage also concludes with the words which say, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. So there's a choice. You have life through believing in Jesus. You don't have life if you don't believe in Jesus. And the wrath of God, the anger of God, abides upon you. So John preached a message of repentance. Printing also from the outward form of religion. It's not enough. You need a change of heart, change of direction, change of mind. And you need to bring forth the fruits of repentance. There needs to be some sign in your life that you've changed. That's what he's telling the people there. And he promises also that someone greater is going to come than himself. Coming of the Messiah. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus comes. And this is what we're going to look at in more detail today. And Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. Actually, there are five things which I want to bring out briefly today concerning this. Firstly, we notice that John recognized Jesus immediately and he knew that Jesus had no sin. Therefore, in principle, he didn't need to be baptized for cleansing from sin. Secondly, we notice that Jesus was 30 years old. He'd been living his life up to now in obscurity in Nazareth in preparation for the three years of ministry, public ministry, which he was going to bring forth. A sense Jesus was now coming out as the Messiah. And thirdly, Jesus identified with humanity, told that Jesus had come to seek and to save the lost. And typologically, baptism speaks about death and resurrection, our identification with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we know that Jesus came to bear the sins of many. So Jesus came to identify with humanity. And fourthly, we notice that God confirms Jesus as the Messiah with the voice from heaven, identifying Jesus as the Son of God. And fifthly, as we've seen already today, this is a pattern for us to follow. Repent, be baptized, 
then get baptized. Okay, so let's look at these points then. First of all, John recognized Jesus immediately, knew that he had no sin and did not need to be baptized for cleansing from sin. John says to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Uh, he recognized there was a certain sort of irony in this situation. Here was Jesus coming, and Jesus had nothing to repent of. He was without sin. Therefore, he didn't need to go through the waters of baptism as John was preaching a message of repentance and being baptized. In fact, John says it would be more appropriate for you, Jesus, to baptize me. And he's right in a way. But Jesus overrules him and he submits to baptism. Let's just have a little think about John. John recognizes Jesus. Uh, he hasn't had a sort of formal introduction. Hello, Mr. John the Baptist, this is Jesus Christ. Welcome to you. He knows him by the Holy Spirit. One of the things we're told about John the Baptist is that in Luke chapter 1, where his birth is announced to his father, Zacharias, in the temple, says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, something which is unusual and different from other human beings. We see that this actually happened because when John was in the womb of Elizabeth, his mother, and six months into her pregnancy, Mary comes into the room where he is, Miriam, mother of Jesus, and Miriam has just conceived Jesus in her womb. So Jesus is a tiny little baby just conceived. And it tells us in the Gospel of Luke that at that point, the babe in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy as Jesus came into the room. Why did he do that? Because the Holy Spirit in John recognized Jesus coming into the room. The Holy Spirit always bears witness to Jesus. So remarkably, even in the womb, John had met with Jesus. And it's shown that Jesus is the Messiah. So when Jesus turns up in front of him, he recognizes him again. And he knows by the Spirit not only who Jesus is, but also what he's come for. If you look in John's Gospel, uh, the parallel account in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, it says... In verse 30, John chapter 1, verse 30, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. A number of things which John says there. He recognizes that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That the purpose of Jesus' coming was to identify with sinners, to be the lamb upon whom the sin of the world would be placed in fulfillment of the prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures concerning the Passover lamb, and that he'd be the one who would deal, deliver us from death into life. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It says he was before me. That meant that he existed. Jesus existed before John existed. Now, technically, John was six months older than Jesus. But Jesus came from eternity, and Jesus has always existed. Therefore, Jesus was before all of us. He was before Abraham. He was before the world was made, because he was God, becoming man and dwelling amongst us. And he recognizes he is the Son of God. And so Jesus comes to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus says now that he's going to be baptized 
by John because it is to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, he's saying this is a pattern for us to follow. What I'm doing now is what I want you to do as followers of Jesus Christ, to be baptized in faith as a sign of our commitment to follow God and his righteousness. Baptism of Jesus took place at the River Jordan. Interesting little point about the River Jordan. Uh, the word Jordan is in Hebrew, Yarden, taken from a Hebrew word, Yarud, which means to go down. Uh, the Jordan River goes down from the heights of the Golan Heights through the Sea of Galilee, down through the Jordan Valley to the lowest place on earth, the Dead Sea. So the lowest place on earth, apart from the sea, on, on the, where you can go on dry land on the earth, is the River Jordan as it flows into the Dead Sea. Interestingly, Jesus came from the highest place, from heaven to the lowest place on earth, to identify with sinners in order to lift us up from the lowest place to be seated with him in heavenly places that we might become the children of God. He came to identify with humanity and to lift us up to be, seat, to be seated with him in heavenly places. So Jesus being baptized was his identification with fallen and sinful humanity, mission which he would fulfill at the cross. And this is exactly what he did throughout his life, his ministry, and supremely in his death. So here that Jesus allowed, as John allowed him to be baptized, Jesus stood in place of sinful humanity, you and me. There's a theologian called Morgan who put it like this. He said, in baptism, Jesus confessed as his own the sins which he had not committed and repented them before God on behalf of those who had committed them. He was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sin of many. And if you look throughout Jesus' ministry, he identified with sinners. He approved those who recognized their sin and came to him for new life. And what our friends have done today is to recognize their sin and to appeal to God for new life through faith in Jesus. He also disapproved and condemned the self-righteous Pharisees who rebuked him. Go to Luke chapter 15. Uh, the chapter which has the famous parable of the prodigal son in it that begins, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He spoke a parab this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one who was lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So God rejoices over every single person who comes to faith in him. And Jesus is seeking to save the lost. And whatever sins you've committed, if you come in repentance and faith to Jesus, those sins will be forgiven through faith in him. And the religious people didn't like it. It's kind of irony where he says that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance, but actually there are no just persons who need no repentance. But he's speaking here about his ministry, his mission to go to reach the lost and to bring them to faith in Jesus. And from the very beginning, uh, from the baptism to the cross, he's doing all of those things. I have another incident in Luke chapter 8, verse 36. Says then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, 
when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And when the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who, the, who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with, with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss me her feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet and with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for he has loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at table with, with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Tradition says that this woman was Mary Magdalene, but we're not sure. But certainly she was a woman who came to Jesus with love because she knew that her sins were forgiven through faith in him. And Jesus makes this point that if your sins are many uh, and your sins are forgiven, you know they're through Jesus, then you will know that you are forgiven and that you are justly a child of God. And right the way through the Gospels, we see Jesus identifying with lost humanity and raising them up from the lowest place to the highest place to be seated with him in heavenly places. And God wants to do that to you and he wants to do that to me because he loves us and because he gave himself for us in order to redeem us. And so Jesus was showing his meaning of his ministry in being baptized, to come and to seek and to save the lost, to identify with sinful humanity, show them God's plan and plan of re for redemption, which is what he feels for us right now. And also he is rebuking the proud and the self-righteous religious leaders the ones who would actually lead him to the cross, where he would bear the sins of the world upon himself. So there's a sense in this, this was the beginning of something new. Jesus was leaving behind his quiet life, if you like, in Nazareth, uh, where he'd lived for 30 years and now coming out as the Messiah, uh, the saviour of the world, preparing for the ministry which was going to lead him ultimately to the cross because of his love for lost sinners, like the people who he met in the New Testament, and like you and me. Praise the Lord. And as he came to the cross, we find that he is, test he is testified, his baptism is then testified by God. Back to the text in Matthew, it says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God was identifying Jesus for who he was. It was not just another person coming to be baptized, this is the Son of God, coming this time to reveal himself as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Actually, there are three times in the New Testament when the voice comes from heaven. 
testifying to who Jesus is. This is the first occasion. Second occasion is what we call the transfiguration. When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples saw him uh, as he really is with his glory revealed, his face shining like the sun, his clothes uh, dazzling white. And they saw that he really was the, the Son of God, God with them. And on that occasion, uh, Peter says he's going to build a booth for him. But John says, don't do that. Since He says, while he was still speaking, that's Peter, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And Jesus is the son of God. So you need to hear him, hear what he has to say, because he's going to tell you something which is unique, which nobody else can tell you. He's the one who can tell you the words of eternal life, lead you to a place in God's kingdom forever. The third time was just before the cross in John's Gospel, chapter 12, when Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God glorified the name of Jesus and told us that he truly is the one who is the saviour of the world. And in the statement here in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus, God the Father, is publicly demonstrating that Jesus' baptism is not like anyone else's in the sense of being a display of repentance. It was not a display of repentance, but instead a righteous identification with sinners motivated love that was well-pleasing to God. And we see that the Spirit of God came descending like a dove upon the Lord Jesus. This was a very dramatic experience, the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus in a way which was visible, could actually be seen by the people round about him. Somewhat similar to the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the gathered disciples in Acts chapter 2. Something visible happened. They could see the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And John tells us this was not a temporary gift. John the Baptist says this in John's Gospel. Uh, he saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained upon him remained upon him. Jesus was about to begin his public ministry. He would do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Jesus had always had the Holy Spirit with him from conception right through to his ascension. But at this point, the Holy Spirit came upon him in a unique way to empower him uh, for the ministry which he was going to bring to do signs and wonders, to miracles, to give the teaching of God, and finally to go to the cross in order to redeem us. Coming like a dove. A dove is soft and gentle, swift to fly from place to place. It brings peace, it's harmless, and it speaks of God's love. And so this event was testifying to who Jesus really is. My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when they heard the voice of God speaking from heaven, those who were hearing knew that Jesus was not just another person coming to be baptized, he was the perfect Son of God, the one in whom God is well pleased. One who God is pleased with because he's going about the greatest job which anyone could do to redeem us from our sin, to bring people like you and me out of captivity of sin into a relationship with the living God. And we see also that in this unique event, the work of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit were manifested together, working together in the ministry of Jesus and continuing in this way. And we see right through the, the Gospels that we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all working together as one, because they are three in one. And God exists in three persons, the Father, 
in heaven, the Son who came to the earth to redeem us, and the Holy Spirit who bears witness to him. And that's actually why we have the baptismal formula for believers in Matthew 24, where Jesus gave the great commission. Sorry, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So his baptism as an adult was a sign of his commitment to God. God answered and said to him, and he was also dedicated as a child. And one of the things which we should do actually when babies are born here is to dedicate them to the Lord, not to baptize them. A passage in Luke's Gospel, when Jesus was taken as a baby to be baptized, to be dedicated to the Lord after 50 days after he was born. It says in Luke's Gospel, when he was, days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him that by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents saw in the child Jesus, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the, what the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, you're now willing, letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That was his dedication, and that shows you that Jesus was the Messiah from the moment that he was conceived, the moment he was born, and the moment he was dedicated in the temple. As I said, it's right to dedicate babies to the Lord, but not to baptize them. So Jesus again gives us a pattern here for dedication and then for baptism, which would follow. And when we look in the book of Acts, we find that everybody who believed in Jesus was baptized after they confessed their faith in Jesus. Baptism then was for believers who had come to understand the gospel, not for babies. The book of Acts is full of people who were baptized. One example, in Acts chapter 8, you have the Ethiopian man who's a eunuch and a ruler in the court of Ethiopia. He's obviously a convert to Judaism in some form and he's been up to the temple and as he's going back to Ethiopia, past Gaza, he's reading from the book of Isaiah, prophecy of Isaiah, which speaks about the suffering servant, Messiah. And he can't understand it, and Philip comes up to him and he says, who is this man speaking about? And Philip explains Jesus to him. Explains that it's a prophecy written 700 years before Jesus came about the Messiah. And then it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Notice what's the qualification there for being baptized? He says, I believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's the qualification which... Nicker and friend here have fulfilled 
by being baptised, by believing in Jesus and believing that Jesus is the Saviour who has died for us. So, concluding, Paul tells us that being baptised is an expression of our faith, of our repentance and faith, and an identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, we have a passage in which Paul explains why believers should be baptised and what it means, what's actually happening when you're baptised on confession of your faith in Jesus. Romans 6 verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together and in the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from, his, from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he lives, he died. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So very briefly in that passage, Paul is telling you that when you have been baptized, you should strive not to sin. You should not use your freedom to find forgiveness as an excuse to continue in sin. doesn't mean that you'll never sin again, because all of us have that sin nature. If we do sin after we've been baptized, then we have a simple way to put it right, to ask God to forgive us and to repent through the blood of Jesus and to know that we are forgiven through Jesus' name. But it's not our intention, it's not our will. So if we're living a life of sin, then we're going to change from that life of sin and live a new life under faith in Jesus. Also, Paul makes it clear that our baptism is an identification with the death of resurrection of Jesus. So as you go under the water, you're identifying with Jesus who died, was buried, and who rose again on the third day. So it's dying to our old life and rising to new life in Jesus Christ. And so it's a picture, if you like, and it's a picture which we can understand because we can see that you have literally gone down under the water. So Jesus literally died, was buried, hidden away for three days, and then rose again from the dead uh, to give new life to all those who believe in him. So therefore you should reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what we should all do. And we should know that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the power to live a new life by the Holy Spirit. And finally, it's a commitment to follow Jesus through the rest of our lives. When you're baptised, you haven't arrived, you've begun. Uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, when Peter explains the gospel, and a great number of people come forward to believe in him, and they go forward for baptism, uh, in verse 40 of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, With many others' words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Basic aspects of the Christian life there. 
doctrine, the teaching of the Bible, fellowship, coming together in fellowship one with another, uh, breaking bread, remembering the Lord's death and resurrection, and in praying, praying for God's will to be done, God's kingdom to come. Those things we should continue with. And once you've been baptized, as I say, you haven't arrived, you've begun. And you should continue right through your life in the process until we get to be with the Lord and with him, uh, to be glorified with him forever. So thank God we have this wonderful picture which speaks to us of our Lord Jesus. Thank God for his obedience to the Father, his willingness to submit to baptism, to identify with sinners, to reach out to the lost, and to die for our sins and to rise again from the dead. And to give each one of us who call upon his name entrance into his kingdom and to receive eternal life through faith in his name. May each one who's hearing me today accept that message and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have eternal life through faith in him. Let's have a word of prayer, then we're going to sing our final hymn. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the scriptures which we've read. And we thank you that they all point us to Jesus. Thank you that you're the one who's fulfilled all these things, that you're the fulfiller of all righteousness, and that you have saved, sought and saved us and saved many thousands, millions of people throughout this age. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to put our trust in you and to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.